A short history of shortcuts in the planning system. You're listening to the Planning, Environment and Property podcast, brought to you by the members of 39 Essex Chambers. I'm Richard Harwood. I'm a barrister, QC at 39 Essex Chambers. And this is a short history of shortcuts in the planning system. Planning permission may be granted by a whole series of mechanisms other than an application to the local planning authority. In light of recent discussion of development corporations, zones and the like, I thought it'd be useful to look at what else there already is. The UK planning system is essentially operated on a case-by-case consideration of proposals or nationally set permitted development rights. Plan making has been to establish policies which can be applied when case-by-case applications are determined. This is distinct from a zoning approach where an area-wide document or grant permission for development of certain classes in certain locations. Proposals which do not accord with the zone may be permitted on an individual application. And whilst the zone may establish the principle of the use up to certain dimensions, the detail of the scheme is likely to require individual approval. Zoning in these terms is adopted widely in Europe, the United States, and some former British colonies, including Hong Kong. For a variety of reasons, it has been seen as desirable to find means of avoiding having to have a planning application determined by a local authority. Those efforts continue to this day, but it's worth looking back at the last 73 years of measures to do just that. There are 19 other ways of getting the planning consent. Now, the first measures came in the Town and Country Planning Act 1947 itself. Planning permission could be granted by a general development order, what is now the General Committed Development Order. This authorises classes of development, sometimes subject to a procedure for the prior approval of details by the local planning authority. These are used widely, sometimes for defined levels of extension to buildings, and in some cases in a relatively uncontrolled fashion for changes of use of buildings or works by statutory undertakers on their own land. Secondly, the making of a special development order by the Secretary of State. A special development order is applicable only to such land or descriptions of land as may be specified in the order. These were used widely for new towns and urban development corporations. The New Town Special Development Order 1977 grants planning permission for development in accordance with proposals approved by the Secretary of State under Section 6 of the New Towns Act. Special development orders were also made for individual urban development corporations that grant planning permission for their proposals, which had been approved under the Local Government Planning and Land Act 1980. These included London Docklands. More recent use of the power has been less heroic, the latest order being the Town and Country Planning, Car Park D, Ebbsfleet International Station, EU Exit, Special Development Order 2019, which is not as interesting as it sounds. Additionally, the Secretary of State or Welsh Ministers may grant deemed planning permission under the Town and Country Planning Act 1990, Section 90, where authorisation for the development is given under other mechanisms. Originally contained in the 1947 Act, this is used, for example, when electricity generation consents have been granted and has been extended to the Transport and Works Act 1992 for railway and water-based projects. Fourthly, a planning inquiry commission 
introduced by the Town and Country Planning Act 1968, is a half-forgotten and possibly mythical creature. The Secretary of State may constitute a commission to inquire into and report into any called-in application, planning appeal, proposed deemed planning permission for development by a local authority, national park authority, or by statutory undertakers, or any development by a government department. There has never been a planning inquiry commission. Indeed, there's no prospect of one either. However, when the Conservative front bench put forward amendments to repeal them in 2008, ministers resisted on the basis that there were other things to do. An enterprise zone scheme under the Local Government Planning and Land Act 1980, Schedule 32, might grant planning permission for development or class of development specified in the scheme. Simplified planning zones made by the Local Planning Authority or the Secretary of State were introduced by the Housing and Planning Act 1986. Any person may initiate a zone which would grant class consents. Objections would be considered by an inspector before the authority or the minister's decision. They had limited use, the most prominent current SPZ being on the Slough Trading Estate. Moving to the 21st century, local development orders initiated by the local planning authority were introduced by the Planning and Compulsory Purchase Act 2004. They grant planning permission of any specified class on all of the land in the authority's area, part of it, or on a specified site. They're approved by the local authority and since 2013, there's been no power of ministerial call-in in England. Little use has been made of them, although they might be more popular if somebody could apply to the authority for an order to be made, taking much of the work off the council. Uh, eight, uh, Section 76A inquiries for major infrastructure projects in England were introduced again by the Planning and Compulsory Purchase Act 2004. This is a specific call-in procedure for an application for planning permission or for the approval of an authority required under a development order if the Secretary of State thinks that the development to which the application relates is of national or regional importance. Whilst in place, it has not been used in practice, and with the revocation of its procedural rules in 2015, it won't be. A further consent is for urgent Crown development applications made to the Secretary of State under the Town and Country Planning Act 1990, section 293A which were brought in when Crown land became subject to planning control in the Planning and Compulsory Purchase Act 2004. Item 10, development consent orders for nationally significant infrastructure projects were introduced by the Planning Act 2008. Applications are made to the Minister, considered by an inspector or inspectors in the examination before a ministerial decision is taken. These have been successful for two reasons. Firstly, if a scheme such as an airport or a nuclear power station meets certain criteria, the DCA regime must be used. But secondly, it has worked. It brings together a series of provisions such as planning consent, compulsory acquisition and highways orders, and takes it through a rigorous and timetable procedure. If you just needed planning permission, you might not use it. However, development consent orders would be a potential means for dealing with and driving forward new settlements provided that their use was voluntary. Next, we have neighbourhood development orders brought in by the Localism Act 2011 and initiated by a parish council or a designated neighbourhood forum. 
like local development orders, these can grant planning permission for a class of development or specific development in all or part of the neighbourhood area or on a specific site. They are subject to independent examination and a referendum. Community right to build orders are a species of neighbourhood development orders, again introduced by the Localism Act. Their orders applied for by community organisations for a specified development on a specified site. Number 13, the ability to make planning applications directly to the Secretary of State in England in areas of underperforming local planning authorities. And this was introduced by the Growth and Infrastructure Act 2013. This might be amended by the Housing and Planning Act 2016. These have not taken off. Popularity of this mechanism was not helped by the first application, the 220 dwellings at Hospital Lane Blaby, being refused by the inspector. Now, there are a lot of schemes which might be approved by a local planning authority, but which would not get past a planning inspector. Similarly, applications may be made to the Welsh ministers in areas of underperforming local planning authorities, and that was introduced by the Planning Wales Act 2015. There are applications to developments of national significance, which must be made to the Welsh ministers, again introduced by the Planning Wales Act 2015. The Infrastructure Act 2015 includes powers for mayoral development orders in London. These would allow the Mayor of London to grant planning permission on the application of and with the agreement of the local planning authority. Necessary secondary legislation has not been made and so this power has not been brought into force. Permission in principle may be granted by a local planning authority or an appeal to the Minister on application. This was introduced by the Housing and Planning Act 2016 and has had some use. Item 18. Again, under the 2016 Act, permission in principle may also be granted by the inclusion of site in Part 2 of a Brownfield Land Register. Whilst all areas of Part 1 registers identify in Brownfield Land, few have used them to grant permission. And finally, going back to the past, planning consent may be granted by an Act of Parliament. However, private bills prove slow and prone to sabotage. Hybrid bills, such as the High Speed 2 and Crossrail Acts, can be used for very major projects, although it is fair to say that the procedures are not fit for purpose. So there are a multiplicity of measures available. Some, like special development orders and development consent orders, have been very useful for identifiable major schemes. Others provide incremental freeing up of works. But yet others have languished, unused or barely used. The product of a desire to do something about the planning system, but a failure to appreciate what might be taken up. Thanks for listening. At 39 Essex Chambers, we cover a vast array of practice areas and sectors. You can find out more about our expertise and our barristers at 39essex.com, where you can also see our extensive catalogue of articles, podcasts and webinars.